So this podcast is something of an experiment, um, breaking the normal weekly sort of pedantic thinking out loud. Now, I enjoy doing that, and I think my thoughts benefit from it. But every now and then, I see something online that I just want to clip and paste. And so here, I'm in a minute, I'm going to switch over to about a five-minute clip of Professor Brett Weinstein testifying in front of Congress. Brett came to the general public's attention a year ago during the Evergreen State affair. And I guess I would say he talks about it a little. It's very complicated. If you want to learn more, there's a lot on it online. But he is someone on the left who was eaten by the left. And I think, therefore, his perspective is especially valuable. Now, as I think Brett himself said, people come for the controversy, but they stay for the content. And I, for one, am grateful that this scandal brought Brett to my attention. I find him incredibly thoughtful, very intelligent and well-spoken, very patient and straightforward. And he's been on platforms like Joe Rogan's, etc. And if you like what he has to say, I think those conversations are quite good. We now go to uh, Dr. Weinstein, professor in exile. We're waiting for what that all means. <laughs> Doctor, you got, the, you got five minutes. Uh, Mr. Chairman, distinguished members of the committee, thank you for the invitation to address you. Tomorrow is the one-year anniversary of the day 50 Evergreen students, students that I had never met, disrupted my class, accusing me of racism and demanding my resignation. I tried to reason with them. I felt no fear because I knew that whatever my failings might be, bigotry was not among them. At that moment, I felt sure I could reach them. I also felt a moral obligation to try. That racism squanders human potential and erodes human dignity offends me. I am also well-versed in the evolutionary logic that makes racism durable. I should have had no trouble establishing common ground. Their response surprised me. It would take months for me to fully understand what had happened. The protesters had no apparent interest in the very dialogue they seemed to invite. I was even more surprised by the protesters' fervor in, shooting down my act I mean, in shouting down my actual students, some of whom had known me for years. The cruelty and derision reserved for students of color who spoke in my defense was particularly troubling. If not discussion, what did they want? I was one of Evergreen's most popular professors. I had Evergreen's version of tenure. Did they really think they could force my resignation based on a meritless accusation? They did think that, and they were right. What I had not counted on was their alliance with Evergreen's new president. Though the protesters openly humiliated him, the president of the college partnered with the mob in private handing them concession after concession. We know this because the rioters filmed everything and proudly uploaded it. In one particularly telling video, the president calmly discusses with the leaders of the protest a demand to target STEM faculty based on the empty assertion that scientists are particularly prone to bias. In that same video, the president speaks of his plan for those who resist the new order. Bring them in, train them, and if, they don't, if it doesn't take, sanction them. He invites his partners to hold him to it. On the second day of unrest, the police chief called me. Rioters were stopping traffic and searching for someone car to car. The chief believed that they were searching for me. 
She was worried for my safety and helpless to protect me as the president had ordered her force to stand down. What would have transpired if the rioters had found me? I still don't know, and I, I strongly suspect they don't either. The protest at my class did not emerge out of the blue in May of 2017. One year earlier, I stood up and spoke in opposition to a dangerous proposal, one that threatened to establish a racial hierarchy amongst faculty. To those who have not faced something similar, this likely sounds hyperbolic. But one can now advance such policies and almost certainly succeed in passing them if they are properly draped in weaponized terminology. Equity, for example, has taken on special properties. If a person opposes an equity proposal, those advancing the proposal are secure in asserting that the person is motivated by opposition to racial equity itself. In other words, they are racist. My opposition to that first equity proposal was voiced to my colleagues with no students present. Demands for my resignation one year later, in May of 2017, were not the result of organic student confusion. They were payback for violating a de facto code of faculty conduct in which one's right to speak is now dictated by adherence to an ascendant orthodoxy in which one's race, gender, and sexual orientation are paramount. The students were on a mission. They were unwitting tools of a witting movement. This committee should take my tale as cautionary. Is there a free speech crisis on college campuses? One can certainly make that argument, but that portrayal is at least as misleading as it is informative. What is occurring on college campuses is about power and control. Speech is impeded as a last resort, used when people or groups fail to self-censor in response to a threat of crippling stigma and the destruction of their capacity to earn. These tools are being used to unhook the values that bind us together as a nation, equal protection under the law, the presumption of innocence, a free marketplace of ideas, the concept that people should be judged by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. Yes, even that core tenet of the civil rights movement is being dismantled. Am I alleging a conspiracy? No. What I have seen functions much more like a cult uh, in which the purpose is only understood by the leaders and the rest have been seduced into a carefully architected fiction. Most of the people involved in this movement earnestly believe that they are acting nobly to end oppression. Only the leaders understand that the true goal is to turn the tables of oppression. Something is seriously and dangerously amiss. At this moment in history, the center does not hold. Partisan polarization and political corruption have rendered government ineffective, predatory, and often cruelly indifferent to the suffering of American citizens. Tribalism is the natural result. Evergreen's public meltdown placed me in the eye of the storm and cast me into the spotlight. As a member of the intellectual dark web, I find myself at the vanguard of an emerging, non-ideological, non-partisan movement. Along with the Heterodox Academy and the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, we are fighting to restore civility and respect for competing perspectives. The electorate is starved for honest debate and for the good governance that follows from it. My advice to this body is to put the nation and its core values ahead of partisanship and join us in the center to end this cultish power grab and return us to a forward path as a nation. I look forward to your questions. Okay, that's it. I have my own thoughts about what happened and what's happening. But frankly, I'm more interested in your thoughts. I, uh, I put my email in the notes to this episode. If you want to, I would love to know what you think. That's it.